Welcome to the CDH Counseling Podcast. My name is Mike Brewer, and I'm one of the four school counselors at CDH. Together with our two college counselors, our registrar, and Mrs. Redding, we make up your CDH Counseling Department. Our mission is to serve our students, families, faculty, and administration. We strive for every student and family at CDH to feel connected and informed. This podcast will offer a series of discussions with that goal in mind. Go Raiders. CDH School Counseling Podcast. Today's episode is going to focus on social media and the comparison culture in which our teens and us as adults are living in today. I want to focus on a few things, some new statistics that came out in May of 2018, take a look at what the trends are. I want to take a look at the link between social media and our teenagers' mental health. We want to look at actually what is going on with the physioanatomy of the, the social media and what's the driving force behind the connection with our teenagers. We want to take a look at the triggers and, and what may be happening in, in the daily lives of, of our students. And then finally, we want to take a look at what, what can parents actually do. In May of 2018... Pew Research Statistics published the results of a longitudinal study that they had completed, which was updated from the original 2014-2015 publishing. One of the major changes that took place was in the percentage of teens reporting access to smartphones. In 2014-15, 72% reported access to a smartphone, and that number jumped to 95% in the 2018 results. Another uh, interesting note is 45% of the kids, almost half of the kids are reporting that they are in constant minute-by-minute update of what's happening in the social media world. So so almost half the kids are basically saying they're on their phones all day long. 45% of the students also reported that they did not feel that there was any social or personal impact of social media on their lives. But it's also interesting to note that the study found a significant rise in anxiety and depression for teens that are constantly on their phones. Wanted to look at what are the kids using? Uh, Surprisingly, YouTube was the number one noted social media app, if you want to consider it that. 85% of the kids said that they use that primarily, followed by Instagram at 72%, Snapchat at 68%, and then Facebook at 51%, and Twitter at 32%. 84% of the teens also reported that they have daily gaming access or use, um, either on their phone itself, on an iPad, um, or a console at home. So what is going on? Yes, we have identified a link between social media use and mental health issues in teens. That has been demonstrated time after time. The more kids use social media, the more they're connected, the more of an impact it has on their their emotional and social well-being. 
But it's also interesting to note that these are not new issues. These are the same issues that us as adults faced when we were teens. Am I going to be accepted? How do I identify? Who is going to connect with me? How do, I don't want to stand out negatively. The difference is, is that social media now provides very instant and public feedback. And the kids can't get away from it. Us as adults, when we had issues at school, we jumped on the bus or we got a ride home, we could leave that there. That no longer exists. We, we saw earlier half of the kids in that Pew Research study said they were consistently on their phone. So that is maybe one of the main differences is that there's no escape. There's no respite. They are constantly connected and constantly in comparison. That's an issue. The Wall Street Journal published a, uh, an article on the teenage social media trap. And one of the things that was noted, I want to read an excerpt for that. But for others, it can be stressful to keep up with the hundreds of online friends, maintain a perfectly curated digital media profile, and manage the onslaught of posts showing peers living seemingly better lives. The hypervigilance that some adolescents feel forced to maintain online is anxiety-provoking and hijacks time away from more important things like homer, sleep, and family. For social media, she adds, home was a place where one could be more relaxed and an authentic version of yourself. Now, some teens never get that break. Interesting to note, it, it speaks to that inability for our kids to find respite. Many kids find themselves isolated despite the constant connection. Teens are in a state of waiting. Am I going to be invited? When is he or she going to respond? That results in increased anxiety. So what, what effect does this have on our kids, on their self-esteem, on their identity, on their mood, on their sense of happiness? Those are the questions that we're, we're really wanting to look at with what's going on in social media. And then you also want to tie in the implications of harassment and bullying. Now people have avenues to handle situations online. Mr. Klein describes it as finger courage versus being forced to deal with it face to face. What are some of the triggering events that parents can take a look at and pay attention to that, that could be impacting our kids? Number one, when our teens see people posting events that they haven't been invited to, that they haven't been part of, that could be a trigger. Feeling pressure to post positive and attractive content about yourself pumping yourself up to be accepted, feeling pressure to get comments or likes or followers on your posts, having someone post things about you that you can't change or that you can't control, feeling replaceable. There's a real vulnerability there. How about excessive communication? Somebody constantly involved with you and you feel like you can't get away or feeling out of the loop. You know, what did I miss out on? What, what am I not privy to that I'm, I'm not going to be in the loop on the following day at school? All triggers, things to pay attention to. I wanted to take a look at exactly what is happening with our teenagers and their brain development. What, what is driving the connection to all of these issues. And, and many of you might have heard this video by Simon Sinek. There, there was, uh, it, was, it was termed the, the video that broke the internet. And, and if you've heard it, I think it's worth 
reinforcing. And if you haven't heard it, pay attention to what he says. That he was being interviewed on a TV show called Inside Quest, and, and the focus was on the millennial generation and what's going on. And as you're going to hear, he had some great insight. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. Right? So you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a little bit lonely. And so you send out 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response. Right? Right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back 10 times to see if, and if it's going, if our, my Instagram is growing slower, I would, I, I, did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore? Right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it. It's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol. And we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down. <laughs> but that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe. Right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains. And for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person. They will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress. That's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks. Right? What's happening is, because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, Basically, it's becoming hardwired. And what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends. They don't rely on their friends. They have fun with their friends. But they also know that their friends will cancel of them as something better comes along. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set. And worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person. They're turning to a device. They're turning to social media. They're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. The last thing I wanted to talk about is what can parents do? What are some tips? I'm going to play a video right now of an interview with a senior in high school, not from Creighton Durham Hall, but th this young man had some, some interesting insight into what can parents do, and then I will follow that up with a few thoughts of my own. Hey parents, in this video we're going to talk about everything that you need to know about social media. If you're anything like me, 
you've got kids, you've got teens who are on their phones all the time on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you might not really be clued in. And, and that can be dangerous. If you don't know what it's all about, how it all works, and the boundaries you should set up, then really you might be setting up your kids for failure. So we're gonna actually talk with a high school senior who gets it, he's living it, and he's got some really helpful tips for all of us parents out there. All right, well, Wyatt, let's start with this. How often are you, or is the typical student on his phone? A lot, like way too much, honestly. I'm on my phone all the time. Like it's it's kind of a problem, honestly, but yeah, I'm on it all, all the time. Yeah, probably a lot of parents notice that with yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. All right, you've got some tips for us. Uh, what, what's your first tip? Okay, so the first one for parents is know how the apps work. You know, like know, understand what the kids are doing, and you have to know. All right, so I've got it open right here. Uh, this is Twitter. Instagram's kind of the kind of similar, but uh, this is on your profile page. So this is where uh, you can look at your recent tweets. So I can scroll down. We're looking at the recent tweets that uh, they've tweeted. Uh, you can look at the pictures that they posted. Brian hasn't posted any pictures. This is Brian's Twitter, by the way. And uh, you can look at their recent likes, too, the things that they've liked on Twitter that they've viewed. And then, so going to their Twitter feed, this is what's going to pop up on their feed. So this is what they're looking at whenever they scroll. And whoever they're following is going to pop up on this. All right, so how, so how does this all practically work for a kid? Are they... Are they scrolling through the feed? Are they? How does the how do the likes work? How does the following work? Yeah, so most like ninety percent of your time is going to be on the feed. That's where you're going to see new things. You know, at the top, you're going to be you're constantly refreshing it, waiting for something new to pop up. And if you see something you like, so say I like this tweet, I'm just going to hit that little heart right there. It's going to pop up, and then so that's going to show up what I showed you before on the likes. So okay, so there it is. So. If you're explaining this to an old parent like me and people watching, yeah, then this is kind of like like a subscription, like subscribing to a magazine. Yeah, whenever you follow someone, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Because if you don't follow them, you're never going to see what they post. Okay. So yeah, like right now you're following CNN, so I can click on them, and you're following them. That little the little blue thing up in the corner means you're following them. Got it. So so if students follow a bunch of people, their friends, yeah, whatever. Friends, pages. Uh, yeah, whatever they find interesting, yeah, they're going to follow. All right, so yeah, that's actually my second tip, is understand who they're following and what they're viewing, because whoever they're following is what they're constantly going to be seeing. Okay, so how do you know then if they're following someone they shouldn't be following? Well, you have to understand your values. You know, you have to understand what your kids' values should be. And so when you're looking through their feed and you see something that you sh you don't want to be on there, then yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty obvious some of the pages what so, they, you know. so what's a parent supposed to do then is tell their kid to unfollow what's it called I, yeah unfollowing? I mean unfollowing yeah and then I'd also bring up the point of why are they following them in the first place you know they should know better right so yeah I'd confront them yeah for sure I would a little teaching moment for, yeah for parents. yeah because it's, it's not just the click of the button it's why are they clicking that button you know all right that's good and I think that leads to your last tip that you were mentioning to me yeah. as far as parents when they're thinking about it. Can you just have this conversation once and, and, and it's no. solved? No, you constantly have to be checking up on them because it's not, I mean, it's always changing, you know. Stuff is always popping up on there. Something new is going to pop up. It's You have to constantly check up on what they're into, yeah. That's good. That's helpful. So any other last uh, tips for parents who are just in a world of, just confusion when it comes to social media. I mean, I'd say give it a shot, you know, like 
check it out, you know, try to learn it for yourself. The better you know it, the more you're going to be able to understand how your what your kids are getting into and how they're spending all that time on their phone. That was an interesting look at what can parents focus on coming from a teen's perspective. So let's take a a little bit closer look at it. First of all, I I would recommend that you individualize your approach. Take, Take a look at what the concerns are for your own child and then just maybe individualize that support network based on that. Number two, don't don't overreact. This is the world that we live in. Overreaction and removing phones, I know I felt that way myself as a parent, just take the thing and throw it in the lake. That's not realistic. Um, Overreaction just would lead to disconnection and they're going to have access to this one way or another. So I think helping them navigate the world that they're going to live in and, and starting to create some independence, some healthy independence on their own would be important. But setting up screen-free times would be a welcome respite. Even if they fight it, I think that once they get away from it, they find, students find that relaxing. They find a break in there. So setting screen-free times just as, as a parent might be a beneficial thing for them. I think it's good for us to model good use of our phones. You know, I, I remember having a conversation with my kids about how, how much they were on their phones while we were in family time. And then my, my son said to me, hey, Dad, I thought we were supposed to be on off our phones as I was on checking an email. So modeling good use, I think, would be important. Talking to your kids constantly and consistently, just creating open communication, allowing them that support, um, that sense of, hey, I can talk to mom or dad about anything, I think is important. Setting expectations based on your own family values your system. You know, what what are the expectations for your home? And then as as was mentioned in the in the senior interview, research new movement. It's a little bit discouraging at times because we feel like as soon as we get something figured out, there's something else that pops up and that is very much the case in this world of technology and teen social media use. But just constantly stay up on it, research it, pay attention. It's easier just to allow them to do their things and hope for the best, but that, as we found, isn't very beneficial. Well, today's look at the comparison culture hopefully provided some insight, maybe gave you some things that you were not aware of or reinforced things that you've already heard. Um, I hope it gave you some up-to-date statistics on what what is happening in, in the world of social media and our teenagers. I hope that it provided you with some insight on how you might be able to navigate some of these waters with our kids. We'll be back next week with another episode of the CDH School Counseling Podcast. Until then...